All right, today we're joined by Kyle Norton. Kyle, really welcome, uh, really welcome you to the show. Appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, excited to uh, chat. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, now you gave me this intro, and I think it's a, a high quality one. So I'm going to read this out. Uh, I mean, I think um, it really speaks to you know who you are, but more importantly, we're going to dive into some really awesome topics today. So Kyle is a Toronto-based B2B SaaS revenue leader with 13 years of sales leadership experience. He is currently the Senior Vice President of Sales at Owner.com, a Palo Alto-based restaurant marketing tech company. Previously, Kyle spent three years at Shopify, where he was the head of revenue for retail point of sale, and then the head of revenue and customer success for Canada. For the three years pre um, previously to Shopify, he built the sales function at Toronto-based health tech, care, tech unicorn league. And outside of work, Kyle is passionate about golf, reading, fitness, running, and time with friends and family. So again, Kyle, welcome to the show. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it, Jeff. Yeah. Well, what do you shoot on the golf course, by the way? Uh, good days, low 80s. Not so good days, high 80s. But I have played very little golf with because uh, I got two young kids this year. So uh, I don't know what I don't know how that would look right now. Yeah, I'm curious when you start to maybe take them out to the golf course. Like, this is really cool. Daddy goes out on these like huge golf courses. I want to try this too. I'm curious what age that starts out. I've got my daughter on the course, just like chipping and putting uh, around, uh, just around a course where we stayed in, in Palm Springs. Uh, she had a moderate interest, but the, the attention span's not all that long at this age. So <laughs> it was uh, only a couple minutes, but we're going to try. We're, we're definitely going to try. Yeah, I hear you. So speaking about attention spans, I'm always trying to relay that to you know, change management, rev ops, and sales reps. It's always very challenging to get you know the attention of your entire org and changing those behaviors. Uh, why don't we go into your background a little bit? How did you end up at Owner.com, and you know what's your mandate over there? Yeah, so my role is uh, sales and partnerships. So uh, BDR, AE, rev ops, enablement, and uh, our partnerships and BD function. Uh, how I got here was uh, an interesting story. It was sort of kicking and screaming a little bit. Um, I'm an LP in go-to-market fund and GTM fund. We really wanted to get into this round uh, in owner.com. So I spent some time with the CEO to essentially you know, prove out the value that uh, GTM fund provides, You know, getting access to our LPs who are all senior go-to-market operators. Um, we hit it off, uh, GTM fund got into the round. I stayed on in sort of a, an advisory capacity, uh, working with Adam over the course of a couple of weeks. And then he proposed to me, he's like, Hey, I've interviewed, I think it was like 60 or 70 sales leaders at the time. He's like, you're the guy that like, would you consider joining full time? I was having my second kid and I was like, yes, it would be super exciting, but the timing couldn't be worse. Let's park this and uh come back to it in like september once i've caught my breath and adam being somebody of like incredible conviction and urgency like one of our values at owner is to to make our own timelines you know came back to me and said well kyle like you've been in a startup before you know every day matters every week matters you know if, if uh we need a head of sales like we can't wait till september it's like now is the time and that conviction and, and Adam's conviction in a lot of different places was a was a big pull for me into the business. I actually said after 
league that I would never do a series A startup again. I would never go back early stage just because it's so hard, so chaotic. And I was like, ah, like I'll join it a B, things will be more sorted out, I'll have resources. But um, the mission is so compelling for me at owner, like helping restaurant uh, restaurant owners, independent, small mom and pops succeed in like a very different uh, digital climate now. You know, one where Uber Eats and DoorDash are just like crushing them in terms of their margin and ability to, to make money. So the, the mission was really exciting. The founders and the team were super compelling. And even though the timing could not have been worse, like it was a challenging first six months juggling, uh, uh, being back in a startup, trying to get my uh, bearings and having, you know, a two-year-old and a three-month-old. I'm very glad I made that choice because, you know, it's, it's uh, the business is doing great. It's a mission I'm deeply, I'm deeply passionate about. And I feel really excited about the future for us. So uh, it was tough, but, but, uh, glad I made that decision and I didn't, you know, uh, extend that timeline and, you know, credit to Adam for that. Like his force of will and sense of urgency has like, he, that fingerprint is everywhere in the business. And it's actually been one of my most interesting lessons learned being at owner, just the, 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 the sense of operating with urgency and never sticking to somebody else's timelines is a, is a cool lesson that I knew in practice, but had never experienced it to this degree. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. I think as an SVP of sales, I think you have to appreciate a founder who's also part-time role is to sell the mission of the business. Um, and to be quite frank, it's a mission that I also believe in during COVID during the pandemic restaurants were crushed and had to shift their operations. Those who were well-positioned to handle deliveries, did pretty well during those years. Mm -hmm. Like you said, they probably got crushed on the back end with the margin. And now you're serving uh, as kind of that digital front end, the, the, the window uh, for the restaurant. So, um, yeah. you know, we talked about before joining um, a lot of topics. You strike me as a renaissance man. And I think you have to be in order to join an A startup and uh, roll up your sleeves and have your finger on the pulse on a number of things. But I'm curious, you know, where you think, you know, artificial intelligence is a big topic that's happening in the marketplace today. You know, how do you see AI fitting, not just in the product set, but also just within internal operations for both go-to-market and um, marketing and sales? Yeah, so that's a huge topic. Um, I think we're at a point in time where uh, there's a lot of conversation about AI and, and less application. The joke I'll make, which you can which you can edit out, is like it's a little like high school sex everybody's talking about it. Everybody thinks everybody else is doing it, but like nobody's really doing it. It's, it's uh, nowhere near as, as prevalent as you think. And, and so I think there's a lot of, especially public conversation about how AI is transforming these businesses. But when, when I sit down and talk to other revenue leaders, who I think are really good and, and forward looking, very few people are actually doing a ton in their business today. You know, there's fits and spurts and some people are using, you know, Jasper to write emails and or writer. And, you know, we've got some uh, stuff in Gong that's pretty cool, but we're just scratching the surface and, and so nascent. And I think the challenge for many folks is to figure out, okay, what's the best starting point and what what tooling exists today that's legitimately powerful? 
that's more than like a cool parlor trick that's like flash in the pan, but then doesn't get the day-to-day adoption. Like, you know, all these companies like, oh, we're going to tell you what to send to what opportunities and write the email and who to do what with how, like, you know, that is a a great vision, but we're not going to be there for a little while. And so our approach has been slightly different. We're using AI internally uh, to lead score, to decide what leads we're routing to what reps to and to enrich our existing database uh, because there's a much more practical application of that today. And so one of the, so there's two companies that, uh, two products that I'm using right now that, that are worth plugging. One is Replays IQ. And so they're basically call coaching on top of call call scoring and coaching on top of Gong or whatever transcription service you're using. This is actually the product that I tried to convince Gong and Chorus to build like six or seven years ago, like when I was first evaluating. Oh, you need a scoring like mechanism in here. So every call I can get an output to see, you know, what was the gravitas and tonality? What were the quality of the questions? How engaged was the buyer? And you get a little bit of that from Gong, but nowhere near the detail. And so replays uh, sits on top of all my call transcripts and scores them by like 122 different criteria. So uh, it could be end of call stuff. Was pricing clear? Did you ask for a clear next step? Did you collaborate with the buyer as to what you should do next? Like there, there's really specific sales skills that uh, Replace pulls out and gives us. And so I get all of that information in uh, right now. It's like a big spreadsheet and it's, it's uh, really practical to coach on. The reps go review their own scores. They review the call clips, and that's like really actionable um, and and practical, and it and it fits in with my weekly coaching and trading cadence with a lot of diligence. Um, and then the other tool I'm using is Momentum, which also takes call recordings, pulls out the most important piece of information that I want in CRM, and and automatically enriches that into the Salesforce fields. The reps can choose what to update and uh, make edits there. But we're also sort of mass updating important Salesforce fields that are often missed, uh, which is really powerful. And so that's a slightly different application of what you see on LinkedIn. What you see on LinkedIn is like, oh, AI told me the email to write and found me all the leads to contact and the um, <clears throat> the positioning for every single contact. I'm, I'm less... I've had much less success trying to make the, that work in reality than what I've seen online. Uh, and I haven't really seen many folks make that work in, in, in a real world setting, but uh, we will get there eventually. Yeah, I think the messaging, the positioning, the language, the, the, the AI built into sequences, um, I think that can serve as a pretty good body development of text, but you still have to have someone review it, make sure that it's in line with your brand guidelines, with your messaging. At the moment, I think AI probably will have some legwork to do there, but totally right on these two other applications. The first is, you know, really constraining the use case and then training the algorithm or the model to output very specific, actionable, um, you know, work deliverables. So first the coaching that you talked about, um, if tonality is, uh, is important to you, if talk time, or open-ended questions versus closed questions. 
what what are the questions that you ask and what context and what order. I think those are those are very important things that can be trained into the algorithm. The second piece is making sure that the data in your CRM is actionable, truthful, and timely. And that allows you to have a fairly strong pipeline management forecast call. And that allows your sales team to also card back that time into just editing, right? Because sometimes you get this writer's block, like oh, what's happening in this deal? Okay, well, let me just write F U follow up, you know, L V leave voicemail, and you're not really getting a whole lot of context into the deal. Then when you have actually have a conversation, you know, you have a sort of recency bias. So in the conversation, you're not even building the context. You might just be writing the last thing that you remembered from the call, but you missed this entire, you know, set of uh, conversation. Um, it's, it's mostly because of memory recall. And so these tools allow you to go back to the beginning of the call and really transcribe it. I think that's super powerful. We talked yeah. about it. Oh, go ahead. One thing there uh, that I think is really important is um, as AI gets more powerful and we build better tools for go-to-market applications, so much of it is going to depend on the quality of your database. And so we're being, we're trying to be really diligent right now using AI to clean up our, our CRM. So enrich leads uh, and conversations and, and extract as much information back into Salesforce with the highest quality possible. Because when we do get to the point where AI is powerful enough to say, all right, we're just going to look at your entire CRM and pick all the best accounts and tell you what to say to those accounts. We, we could get there in the next couple of years, but it's all going to depend on the quality of the data in there. Obviously it's garbage in, garbage out. So part of our endeavor right now, especially with momentum is to, uh, keep our CRM as up to date with as much information of the highest accuracy possible so that those things are, are opened up for us over time. I think where AI is today, it's, yeah, I can't remember who uh, coined this term, but it's like the hardest working intern. You know, I'm, I'm not going to trust the intern to tell me what accounts to prospect and what to say to them, but I can trust an intern with, you know, specific instructions that are repeatable, that follow a pattern. Like AI is an incredible pattern recognition tool, and it's a tool that can fill in the blanks really well. Once you start to, to widen that, uh, span of creativity to like, just go tell me who to prospect to. Uh, we start to get way far afield and there's so many false positives in that, that it stops being super helpful in, in my experience, in my personal, like as we've tried to make it work versus if you think about it, like your intern, Hey, take these accounts and tell me these specific things about these accounts. Okay. Look at this set of records and tell me these things about them. Or, or, you know, you start to, as you constrain the instructions, uh, you start to get a lot more value in my opinion. Like people are like, oh, you can, AI will write your blog post for you. Yeah, they're going to suck. <laughs> they're going to be just like a regurgitation of the top three blog posts on the same topic. You're adding nothing to the discourse. But if you, you know, like have specific things that you want the AI to research that will allow you to be more creative in your own writing, great. Intern role versus creative director role or, or thought expert role. I think the more we can get into this mindset of, of leveraging the intern, the better you'll, you'll get more that. Value. So the smartest intern, I think that makes perfect sense. So if we had more well, the hardest working intern, the hardest working intern, I love pretty that. smart intern. I, I don't know. Everybody's like, I've tried to study enough prompt engineering, but still not, it's not always perfect. 
what you get back, but it will work hard. Do you can give a, give it anything you want and as many iterations and like, try that again, do this, do that, do that. Yeah. That's, that's, I think the right framing. So if we shift gears to working with your operations team, we talked about the importance of where RevOps fits within an organization, you know, as the SVP of sales, how do you view you know, the challenge of scaling and growing, you know, you, uh, leveraging a powerful capability and team like revenue operations? So right now, RevOps reports into me um, at Shopify. When I was building the point of sale team, I had my own RevOps team. Then when we reorged, it was shared at League. It reported into me here. It does as well. Um, work structure wise, I think it can be successful in a, in a few different places. I, I think oftentimes the question is, well, it should report to finance or ops or this or that. It, it, really the home, the best home for RevOps is the person that's going to um, you know, be the best steward for that individual. So if you're a very operationally savvy revenue leader, then you know reporting into revenue makes a ton of sense. If you're not and you don't have an interest in RevOps, then that's probably not the right home. Um, so structure-wise, that's how it's set up today. Um, what was the second part of the question? The I was just thinking about, uh, you're talking about organizational structure, uh, which I think is super helpful. And I think it's a partnership between uh, the the revenue leader um, and the revenue operator. Uh, I'm curious about, you know, where you see, you know, what capabilities you need from your RevOps team in order to scale a business. Right. The rep owner probably has, you know, double, double, double revenue mandates on it for several years. I'm curious, you know, where RevOps fits in that. Yeah. So, uh I have consistently made a very early investment in, in RevOps. I, I've been a big believer in its ability to accelerate a business, even in the crazy times where it's like you could have as much headcount as you wanted. We could spend as much money as, as you could get your hands on. Um, I never really bought into the like, hey, just solve everything through headcount mentality. And RevOps is a way to find a lot of scale. So it's, so RevOps is, is really critical to me whenever I'm advising startups or talking to founders, I'm pushing them to make an early investment there because it makes everything better. In terms of how it accelerates the organization and, and sort of the skill set, there's a, a number of things that can fit under RevOps. And I don't think that function needs to contain them all, but you have to think about the, the players around your business that fit this like foundation infrastructure for scale uh, equation. So some of that is just the, what happens in Salesforce. How do things move around? How how good is the data quality? How does how do think how are we actually managing Salesforce? Then it's the other set of tools. Then it's the business process, the rules of engagement, how uh, accounts and territories are mapped. Then there's you know some form of enablement that's in there. There's there's other like tools connecting out to Snowflake. Who owns that? And I think. Um, a mistake people make is they want somebody to own that entire portfolio soup to nuts. And it's really important for that person to like have control of it all. And I actually think it's, it's a a much better approach to think about the strengths and weaknesses of the people around the organization and mapping those um, functions to the skills and competencies of those people. So uh, Steve's the guy who runs RevOps for me now. He actually ran RevOps for me at league uh, two companies ago. Uh, 
his superpower is like understanding what a how a rep lives day to day and what and how revenue actually comes in the door so that when he builds tooling or process it it is really rep centric and the reps get a new thing and it makes them better and so our engagement and adoption of like new rap stuff is, is way higher than than most places I, but then there's also a guy who works in our operations function Jonathan Shankman, who's like a data wizard. And so he's doing all sorts of stuff in Snowflake and pushing it to Salesforce and web scrapers and enrichment. Like that could be a part of the RevOps portfolio, but he's just so good at it. And we work in such tight collaboration that uh, we're excited and enthusiastic for it to, to sit over there. So I think there's a portfolio of jobs to be done and then finding homes for it is is the important part and it doesn't need to need to always live in RevOps as long as those things are getting done. Like we we have a contractor doing enablement for us who's great but only part-time. So Steve picks up some of the slack there or the BDR manager does some of that work. Um, and over time, some of that will shift away as we bring in RevOps uh, enablement full-time. So I think understanding the portfolio of jobs to be done and rolling them into the the strongest individual for that is is really important and then you know you can get the foundation built to like slam reps and grow grow on top of well much like owner.com there's a front end and there's always a back end to any process or system and you have someone working with the reps making sure that your go-to-market flow is working really well within your systems that's the front end piece right but on the back end it's you know how are the hamburgers cooked on time and served at the front just your data operations, that data and tech yeah. allows you to target and allows you to have conversations and prioritize in the right places. And I think it's a really powerful combination and probably a luxury for a series A company to have that one, two punch. Yeah, for sure. I, I uh, you know, we've intentionally invested in this early, but also just having this individual in the business uh, was a stroke of good fortune. I didn't make that hire uh, our COO did, but you know, it's just, you know, I couldn't imagine living without it. So, uh, definitely helps us scale and scale efficiently. Like the, the market has changed in such a way <clears throat> that, um, being able to scale with infrastructure as opposed to humans is so much more important. We listened early to that message, like even before I started full time over a year ago, when I was in this advisory capacity, we were having these conversations. How do we get more efficient? How do we set up uh, the systems early to be able to scale uh, with as much productivity as possible? So, like, we feel I'm grateful that the founders he, like heeded that warning before anybody else in in some of these markets because uh, it's definitely paid off in in a big way for us. That's amazing. Now, I'd be curious in the last note, like I always have this section where we have our guests give career advice to their, to their younger selves. I'd be very curious to hear, you know, going back to your days at League or Shopify, you know, what advice would you give your younger self, you know, to help you maybe shave off a year or two of learning and pain, knowing what you know now? So the for first time heads of sales, the advice I give a, a lot that I wish I had had was like learn to disagree the right way. In sales, like we're such competitive people, we're so hard driving that 
oftentimes we bring that like blunt object mentality internally. And, you know, we believe that just like convincing somebody. So this, I wish the book think again had be written, had been written when I was the first time head of sales uh, because Adam Grant talks about the differences between sort of the scientist's approach, investigating and, and like exploring ideas versus the prosecutor, the preacher. Uh, I can't remember what his third one is. And I was definitely like the prosecutor, like just, just arguing and trying to prove my point versus trying to be a lot more collaborative to make, to, to get to different outcomes. So I think heads of sales need to have some more finesse and like learn to collaborate. I wish I had learned to be, learn to collaborate better. Like I was I, I, looking back at some of those decisions, I was actually right didn't get my point across and it cost us, but, uh, it wasn't that my, my, my insight was off. It was like, I just couldn't get people on board, um, because I pushed too directly, too hard. People don't like that. Um, another piece of generic advice is like invest in RevOps early, <laughs> you know, make that like, it's good for this podcast because I find that, uh, making that investment at league gave us like such an upside. We had a really clean sales force. We had like a squeaky clean CRM all through that, uh, all through those years of growth. And it just made such a difference. We understood the business with such detail and granularity. Like that's, that's not, that's something I think I did well that I oftentimes tell other heads of sales. It's like, don't let that tech debt, don't let that CRM debt build up on you because unwinding it's uh, really hard. And, a great RevOps partner, great RevOps leader can accelerate you such a tremendous amount. So I was just looking this up. Uh, that there's a hierarchy of rethinking styles from Adam Grant. Uh, it's a pyramid structure is what I'm looking at. And at the bottom is the cult leader. Then the second layer is the politician. Top of them is the contrarian. Then the last two spots are the critical thinker and the scientist. I haven't mm. read this before, so I'm going to add this one to my, to my book club. Yeah, the politician's the one I missed. Preacher, politician, prosecutor. It's like the styles of disagreeing. Uh, so the preacher is just like telling you why his idea is the best. The prosecutor is cross-examining your like what you're saying and proving you wrong line by line. And the politician's more of like the, the influencer. Oh, I'll trade you this for that. And Adam Grant tries to teach you to think like a scientist, like understand what, what the point of view is of that other person. Think from first principles, collaborate your way to the, to the outcome. It's a really great book. That's so uh, cool. Yeah. I was a camp counselor in undergrad and we had learned mm. different resolution techniques. So I think you're talking about like maybe persuasion and style, the, the personality. Um, and then there's the, like the how, like the specific techniques, like evasion, uh, which is avoidance. Uh, there's confrontation, which is my preferred method. Doesn't always work well depending on the setting. Mm -hmm. uh, there's yielding, where someone gets a hundred and someone gets zero. Um, there's the win-win. Um, so you know you get, you get a lot of different archetypes of resolution methods. I think this is super powerful. Hey Kyle, and I was uh, conflict. Absolutely. I, and you know I I misread I misread our our interest in being. Um, you know, a radical candor business, radical candor, I don't think always applies. I think to, yeah, sure. You can, we're, we're we wanted to be a company that, um, we wanted to be a company where you could disagree openly, 
But disagreeing openly doesn't always get you what you want. It's a nice thing to say on paper, but there's other ways of, of uh, messaging that, that I've come to discover are much more powerful. That's amazing. Hey, Kyle, uh, thank you. Appreciate you joining the show today. And as always, um, where can folks who are listening find you? LinkedIn's the best spot. Uh, try to write semi-regularly on there. Uh, so connect with me if there's like things that you think are interesting topics to hear about from like a head of sales. I'm happy to spin stuff up that is most valuable. That's uh, I just like putting things out there that are that are useful for folks. So if there's questions that you're wrestling with that you'd like an opinion on, I'm happy to you know help one on one or or write content on it.